Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading today will be taken from the book of 1 Kings 17, verses 2 to 9. At the end of the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Live here and turn eastward and hide in the Kerbit ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerit ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. Then the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a video there to supply you with food. This is the word of the Lord. All right. <clears throat> Good morning, church. Oh, okay. All right. Um, if you're watching with us for the first time, my name is, just as Uncle Amy has said, my name is Tommy Olaiwaju. I am one of the guys that bring the word of God to the church this way. That means I'm one of the guys on the preaching team in City Church. And also, in case you just joined us a few weeks ago and um, this has not happened before, I'm glad you're here. I'm welcoming you, um, especially. Um, when I moved to Lagos, one of the first things, about three years ago, one of the first things I noticed was the rate at which things were moving in Lagos. Everybody seemed to be going really, really fast. And this was strange for me because I was born and bred in Ilori and things were very, very chill there. So when I got to Lagos, everybody, there seemed to be this air of movement, this air of progress around. And it's very, very possible for us Lagosians to, oh wait, for you Lagosians, right? <laughs> for you Lagosians to um, be moving so fast that you hardly take time to rest. You hardly take time to retreat. You hardly take time to disengage from the things around you. But God has sovereignly designed life in such a way that at least once a week, we get the chance to rest. We get the chance to disengage from things around us. And that is what Sunday service is meant to do. In Sunday service, you are genuinely able to focus less upon your anxieties or focus less upon the things that keep you awake at night and focus upon Christ, who is your hope, Christ, who is your sustainer. Focus upon Christ, who is your provider and your healer. And it is that Christ that I hope that you encounter here today. It is that Christ that I hope will meet with you right where you are and sustain you. And, I and we all know that if God doesn't send the Spirit, everything we're going to be doing, doing here is going to be in vain. If God doesn't send His Spirit upon you to receive the word humbly, or send His Spirit upon me to deliver the word faithfully, everything is going to fall flat. So will you join me as, as we pray together? Oh Lord Jesus, 
Reveal yourself to be true. Reveal yourself to be good. Reveal yourself to be beautiful. Stare our hearts. Stare our wills, O oh God. Turn our hands and our legs to be instruments of righteousness for your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And just said, Amen, Amen. amen. All right. Um, so last week we started a series, um, Elijah series, and um, Pastor in his first sermon gave a very, very good analogy when he started. He tried to describe how we treat people that we tend to look up to. And Pastor said something. He said um, that he doesn't really like to get too close to people because if he actually gets too close to them, he may actually get to know them. And again, we all know he was joking, but he was trying to describe this way in which we tend to um, elevate people that we know, people that we look up to. We tend to elevate them to positions where we love and respect the elevated versions of themselves, but we don't even really know them. And so maybe this analogy might help. So imagine there's an awesomeness scale. So level 1 to 10, there's an awesomeness scale. And maybe your hero, the person you look up to, is on level 5. What we tend to do is elevate the person to level 10, and then we love, respect, and think we know the person on level 10, but the person is actually on level 5. But that's not the only thing we do. Another way we deal with those that we tend to look up to is this. We tend to love and respect them and look up to them on level 5, but we also tend to ignore level 1, 2, 3, 4 that got them to level 5 in the first place. Is this way in which we're in love with who a person is. We're not in love with the things that got him to where he is. We're in love with who a person has become. We're not, we tend to ignore the pressures, the sadness and joys, the failures and successes that God has brought upon him to get him to a point where you actually see him and like him. And this is the way it played out for us in those days. When we were in school, all of us wanted to carry first position. But not all of us were willing to read during prep. Or maybe you're a man, you understand this better. All of us want to be as good as Cyril Ronaldo, right? But not all of us are going to wake up by 5 a.m. to go to the pitch and actually train till the sun comes up. Or maybe you probably relate to this example a little bit more. I remember um, when I was in school, um, I attended OAU. And um, what that means is when people are on holidays, I'm in school. And when I am on holidays, people are also in school, right? We never really tally together, and, and for reasons we all know, but don't say it, all right? Um, and so this particular period, or this period of time where um, I happened to be on holidays, and my friends were on holidays as well. And so we started gisting and just talking about stuff, things that 16 and 17 year old boys talk about. Don't ask me what we're talking about, but we got, it was girls, actually. I'm God, right? And so we got to this point um, where we started talking about our futures, what we wanted to be like, who we wanted to be in the future. And um, some of us, someone like me said, um, I want to be a medical doctor. And obviously, that didn't work out, right? <laughs> and some people said, oh, we want to be engineers. But I had this one friend that said, I want to be as rich as Dangote. And um, well, he's 16, he's 17, he has his life ahead of him. Maybe it can work out, right? But the problem was this, that this guy, that was so obsessed with being like Dangote. The problem was he had convinced his parents that he was schooling in the University of Illinois, but he was actually in Kwara State Polytechnic. And worse still, he had failed his exam to the point where he was on the verge of being expelled. So he was so in love with who Dangote was, he had ignored the steps and processes that got Dangote to the point where he is. 
And that is the same way we also treat Elijah. Many of us respect and love and look up to Elijah upon Mount Carmel when he brought fire from heaven. But we tend to ignore Elijah when he was in the chariot ravine. Many of us tend to look up to Elijah when the chariots of fire came and just took him up to glory. But we tend to ignore the Elijah that was in a famine and was trusting God to bring bread to him every morning and every evening. And this, this is the thing. The, the fact that there's an Elijah that exists in the carriage ravine is the only hope that you and I have. Maybe this analogy again. Back to the analogy I gave on the awesomeness scale. So let's assume there's a guy on... Um, Scale, also on scale level five, right? And um, you're on level one. And then you then find out that this guy on level five was just born that way. It just happened to be that way. There's nothing that happened to him. He didn't take any steps. He just got to be that way. That's hopelessness for you. Why? Because you don't even know what you can do that can get you to level five. He was born that way. You were born on level one. But if you find out that there was a time when this guy that was on level five was once on level one and there were certain things that happened to him, he did certain things that moved him up the scale to level five. Then there is hope for you that, okay, maybe I myself can get to a point where I will do certain things that can move me from level one to level five. Hope comes to you. And it is this same hope that the Bible offers to us in James chapter five when he said Elijah was a man of like Passions. Elijah was a man that had the passions we had, the desires we had, the emotions we have. Elijah is a man that was under pressure just as we're under pressure right now. Elijah was a man that was in famine just as we ourselves seem to be going through a famine right now. And our famine might be famines of pain. In our famine, there are tears. Elijah understood what it means to be in those circumstances as well. And what the word of God is saying to us is this. That in the days of Elijah, there was a famine. But in those same days of Elijah, there was a God who was still sustaining him in the midst of the famine. Amen. And this will lead to the title of the sermon that we have today. I've titled the sermon, These are still the days of Elijah. These are still the days of Elijah. We examine this under three headings. One, the days of famine. Two, the days of sustenance. And three, the days of glory. One, the days of famine. Two, the days of sustenance, and three, the days of glory. All right, so the days of famine. Um, last week when Pastor was preaching, he spent time creating the context of First Kings chapter 17 to us. And for those of us that probably missed it, I'm going to try and summarize it again. So what happened was this, that um, there was a king, David. He was the, the greatest king Israel has ever had. Right? He did what was right in, his, in, the, in the eyes of God. He obeyed God fully. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. But David gave birth to his son, Solomon. Who gave birth to his son? Named Rehoboam. The problem was Rehoboam didn't have great managerial skills. Rehoboam wasn't that smart. And so he mismanaged the kingdom and the kingdom split into two. So there was the northern kingdom of Israel and there was the southern kingdom of Judah. First Kings chapter 17 is happening in the northern kingdom of Israel and in this northern kingdom various kings had come and they had gone various kings had come and the Bible says concerning those kings that all of them kept on doing what was evil in the sight of God all of them kept on rebelling against God then we get to this man this king named Ahab and the first one of the first thing the Bible says concerning him in first Kings 16 is that Ahab did what was more evil than every other king before him 
But not just that, Ahab in his introduction, Ahab is one of the only kings in the Bible that was introduced in relation to the marriage to the woman he actually married. And that was Jezebel. So immediately you begin to see something that there is something about this king. There is something about this couple. They were so evil that the evil began to trickle down to the citizens of Israel as well. And pastor showed us that last week uh, when he talked about how in the book of Joshua, the walls of Jericho, God judged a city named Jericho. And the walls of Jericho came crushing down. And God then said that whoever is going to rebuild this city, there was a cost. Whoever is going to rebuild this city is going to lay the foundations of this city with their firstborn son, and then they are going to lay the last stone with their, with their, with their lastborn. And in the times of Ahab, a man actually came and did this very thing. And most of us are probably saying, that's just silly. I mean, God has said, I mean, maybe he wasn't using his mind. Maybe he wasn't using his mind. Maybe he wasn't thinking, but maybe he was. Maybe he was thinking that God was not able to do what God has said he was going to do. Maybe he had gotten to a point that evil was so thick in the environment that he had gotten to a point where he was saying, oh, there are no consequences for sin anymore. So everybody was rebelling against God. And God then said, enough is enough. I am going to send Elijah to declare my word. And so chapter 17, verse 1, we see Elijah. And pastor said, it seemed like Elijah burst into the scene as if he wasn't there before. And he just burst into the scene. And you can almost imagine King Ahab with his entourage, you know, of chariots, right? And they are driving through the streets of Palestine and it's all dusty and Ahab just stands in the middle of the road and he stops them and then he says, there shall be no rain according to my word. And many of us love that part of Elijah, the audacity, the bravery, the fact that he was able to declare the word of God boldly and he wasn't, and, 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 and he wasn't scared of anything. But, in the process, but what, what tends to happen is this, many of us are so caught up with the fact that Elijah burst onto the scene, many times we miss what it means that Elijah burst into the scene. Many times we are so caught up with the fact that Elijah declared the words of God where we, we don't think about the implications of the words that Elijah actually declared. And the key is in those words. Go back to the text. The Bible said, there shall be no rain according to my word. That wasn't good news. That was bad news. But not just bad news for Ahab. It was bad news for Elijah as well. Because Elijah was going to be in that place of famine alongside Ahab. And so you begin to, maybe you can imagine the first time God came to meet Ahab to give him that message. And God said, Ahab, I've had, um, Elijah, I've, I've had it up to this point with these people. I'm going to send the famine. And you could probably imagine Elijah going, eh, but what about me? I mean, what about me that I have stayed faithful? I have done what I'm supposed to do. What about us? The rest of us in Israel that have not rebelled against you, that have not bowed our knees to bow. What about us? Won't you preserve, preserve us from the famine? Won't you take us away from the famine? Or better still, why don't you just kill off those people that have done bad things and just leave the rest of us alone? And that was what Elijah was thinking about. Many of us don't think about how hard it must have been for Elijah to declare these words because see, the words that Elijah was going to declare were words that were going to affect him himself. And so it's possible for us to get so caught up with the fact that, oh man, Elijah just hated sin and he declared the word of God. We miss the fact that he might have experienced some form of excitation because he knew that if he declared those words, that judgment was going to be upon him himself. And not just judgment because of his own sins, was judgment because of the sins of another person. 
judgment because a man and a woman decided to rebel against God. And many of us understand what this means when we are suffering because of another person's mistakes. Maybe in our workplaces, your head of department is irresponsible and because of that, your whole department is under fire. Or maybe in your relationships, you, you've done what is right. You've built up yourself. You've worked upon yourself for a period of time to the point where you are a very, very lovable person. And you're kind of person that can love, but then you still end up with jerks who don't understand what love is. And now you are ending, you've ended up with a broken heart because of his own stupidity. Many of us understand what it means for somebody else to take the sour grapes and it's our own teeth that are edgy. Many of us understand what it means for somebody to drink poison and the death is in our own bodies. Elijah understood this. Elijah understood what it meant to suffer because of another person's irresponsibility. Elijah understood what it meant to suffer because a king and a queen, a man and a woman, decided to stand in rebellion to God. And many of us are saying, oh, well, we don't have any king over us. We don't have any man or any woman over us. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that there was once a man and a woman who stood over all of creation and they rebelled against God. And because of that rebellion, there is now a famine upon the whole earth. There is now a famine upon work. Now, people are going to work and they're not going to get satisfied. And you're probably thinking, man, what's so wrong? If only Adam and Eve didn't eat that apple, right? If only Adam and Eve didn't mess things up. Maybe I would enjoy my work more. Maybe I would be in good health if Adam and Eve didn't eat that food. And so for many of us, we are now under the famine of bad health, of, of, of bad health. And so the kind of pain and suffering in the body that people have described that seem to be so far away from you at one point is now the very thing you live with. It's the very thing you sleep and wake up with. There seems to be a famine. These are still the days of Elijah. These are still the days of famine. These are still the days of pain, suffering, and tears. But thanks be to Jesus, the story doesn't end there. Because while these are still the days of famine, these are still the days of God's sustenance. These are still the days where God is keeping his own and preserving his own by his word. Amen. Amen. And that will lead to the second point, the days of sustenance. The days of sustenance. And we'll again discuss this on that two weddings. Where does God sustain? And secondly, how does God sustain? So where does God sustain? And how does God sustain? So, so where does God sustain? In 1 in Kings chapter 17, verse 2, the Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And this is good news for Elijah because the word of the Lord was no longer coming to the Israelites. It was coming to Elijah the faithful. The word of the Lord in judgment was no longer coming to the people that were disobedient. It was coming to Elijah that was doing what he was supposed to do. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Live here. And if Elijah at this point are probably going, Yes. I mean, now God is going to send me away from the famine. God is going to send me to a place where the famine is not going to be able to affect me. God is going to send me to a place where the famine has no play, where the famine has no, has no sway. And again, so God says, leave here, turn eastward. And this is going good for Elijah. And God says, and hide in the carrot ravine. And Elijah is saying, no, what? Hide in the carrot ravine. And Elijah is saying, eh, but the carrot ravine is still in Israel, God. I don't know if you... Maybe you know this. I'm going to say, yes, I, 
in the current region, east of the Jordan, Elijah is probably going, God, why don't you send me beyond the Jordan? Why don't you send me to a point, to a place where the famine is not going to be able to affect me? And God is saying that my word to you most of the time is not there to take you away from the famine necessarily or to take the famine away from you. My word is there to sustain you right there in the famine. And God is saying that even though the famine is with you, as long as my presence with you, the famine is a non-issue. And maybe, just maybe, what we need it's not necessarily that the famine be taken away from us, but that God's presence should be added to us. God is saying to us that it doesn't matter the famine that the news have reported. It doesn't matter the famine that your parents have declared over you. It doesn't matter the famine that your friends have declared over you. It doesn't matter the famine that even your school report is saying. God is saying, as long as my presence is with you, you are fine. And so maybe you are saying, uh, but Elijah didn't feel the effects of the famine either ways. I mean, there was the brooks and there was the ravens that were feeding him. But we see in verse 7, that's not true. In verse 7, the Bible says, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so the point of the text is not that the famine is not going to, not going to affect God's faithful people. The point of the text is that God is going to keep his people right there in the midst of the famine, where is God's sustenance, sustenance happening? God's sustenance is happening right there in the midst of the famine. God is sovereign over the famine and over your life. He is able to keep you and not forsake you. Are we together? Then there's the hour of God's sustenance. The hour of God's sustenance. And we see that in verse 4. First Kings chapter 17, verse 4. You will drink from the brook. And I have directed the raven to supply you with food there. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the raven to supply you with food there. And so there are two sources of supply. There are two sources of sustenance. There is the brook, and then there is the raven. There is the brook that seems to be natural. In fact, the brook was there before the famine even came. So there is this way in which God was sustaining Elijah through natural means, through the um, natural things that God had placed in the world. But then there is a sense in which we look to the other side, and God was sustaining Elijah also through the ravens. Ravens is where we get the word ravenous. It's this idea of being greedy, this idea of being eager to take. In fact, when I was doing my study on ravens, it is said that ravens have actually been known to steal food from other birds. And so God was sustaining Elijah through a means that was supposed to be taken away from Elijah. And so God is also, again, so God was sustaining through a natural means. But God also seems to be sustaining Elijah through an unnatural means. Or should we say God was sustaining Elijah through a supernatural means. So God was sustaining Elijah through what was likely to happen. Through what was likely, the likelies around him. But God was also sustaining Elijah through the unlikelies. So God is presenting himself and saying, I am the God of the likelies, but I'm also the God of the unlikelies. I am the God of the natural, but I'm also the God of the supernatural. Amen. Amen. And the problem is this, that we tend to box God, don't we? With the things we expect. So what you expect from God is going to reveal the kind of God you think you serve. So if you feel like you serve, if you feel like the only things you expect from him is for him to use the natural means to sustain you, Means you are serving a God that you think only works through natural means. But if you also think that the way is going to sustain you is strictly through supernatural, it means that you, you, you are serving a God that you think works only the, the God of the supernatural alone and not the God of the natural. And so there are 
two camps. For some of us, we, we are those that have come to the brooks. We are so used. We are saying, if God is going to um, sustain me through this famine, God is going to have to do it through natural means. God is going to have to do it through the likelies. We are so used to the natural ways of God's sustenance. But the thing is this, we have become so comfortable with the brooks, we no longer expect the ravens to come anymore. We have become so comfortable with the natural, we no longer expect divine intervention from God. And so for some of us, when divine intervention happens and you hear about it, your first impulse is to first be skeptical and not think about it at all. Or maybe some of us are here, still under this camp. You probably have a particular problem and you are talking to somebody about it. And they ask you, have you prayed about it? And you go, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, but, but I mean, there is a problem. So what begins to happen is this. We figure out that most of the time, because you're not expecting divine intervention, you're actually not praying about your problem at all. And then there's the other camp. Those of them that think that the only way God is going to sustain me is through divine intervention, through supernatural means. And so they have come to expect the ravens, expect the ravens to come with meat. But then they've gotten to a point where they've ignored the brooks that God has placed around them. They expect the supernatural so much that they neglect the natural means of sustenance that God has placed with them. And the challenge that God is bringing before us today is this. For those of you that have become so comfortable with the books, God is saying, expect the ravens to come. For those of you that have become so comfortable with the natural means of God's sustenance, God is saying, expect the supernatural to happen. But for those of you that have also come to simply expect the ravens only, and work with divine intervention, God is saying, look out for the brooks that I have placed around you. And why is this important? You see, for those of us that have come to simply believe that God only works through natural means, what happens is this, there's going to be a point that the famine is going to create a need that the brooks cannot meet. Because see, while the brooks can quench your thirst, the brooks cannot feed you when you're hungry. And so there are certain needs, there are certain things that are going to happen that the natural means of God's sustenance will not be able to answer for it. You will need a divine intervention. And so the way it works out, maybe one typical example is this. And I'm not trying to disagree, I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm simply saying, thinking that this is the only way that God sustains is disastrous for us. So some of us, maybe we've heard of people who were eating healthy, they were doing all the exercises, but still at age 40. They still got sick and medicine could not answer for whatever I was doing them. And at that point, they still will not be able to pray to God. Or we still will not be able to pray to God. Why? Because you are so used to this natural means of God doing things. And so when the natural, when the natural things do not happen, when the brooks are not satisfactory anymore, you just close the chapter. And what God is saying to us is in James chapter 4, God is saying maybe you have not received because you have not asked. But then there is the other camp as well. You are so used to divine intervention. You, want, you feel as if the only way God is going to sustain you is through divine intervention. And so maybe you are underemployed and you are just constantly waiting. Oh, my God of divine intervention. My God of divine intervention. You do it so much that you then do not focus on the work that God has actually placed you in. You focus so much on divine intervention. You are not faithful where God has placed you. They tell you to resume by 8. I resume by 8.30 because, again, the work is not doing you well. We tell you to submit a thing by next week. You are submitting in two weeks' time. But God is the God of divine intervention. We seem to forget that the Bible says that if you are faithful over little, that's when God will place you over big. Amen. 
We seem to forget that if you are not faithful with another man's business, who will give you your own? And so you see the problem with both camps is this. For both of them, they have gotten to a point where they do not have access to the full resources that God has provided for them. Or worse still, they are actually not serving the true God anymore. They are serving a God that they have boxed in their own minds. And a God that can be boxed is no God at all. The God of the likelies and the God of the unlikelies, the God of the natural and the God of the supernatural will not be boxed by our own feeble minds. These are still the days of Elijah. These are still the days of God's sustenance. These are still the days where God is sustaining his children through natural means. And these are still the days where he's sustaining his children through supernatural means. But ultimately, these are the days where God is sustaining his children through the gospel. Amen. Amen. And this is key. And the key to this is in the ravens. The key to this is in the ravens. Now, growing up, um, when I was around eight or nine, uh, my parents moved to a new um, neighborhood, and we were, one of the, we were one of the first people to get to the place, and I made a friend. And so one day, we were walking, in the afternoon, we were walking, and it was the first time I saw a raven, and so I saw a raven, and I didn't react in any way. You see, uh, it was just a raven. I, well, I wasn't really brought up in a way to really just um, attach meaning to things. And, but my friend, on the other hand, saw the raven, and he said, ah, and he said something. I'm going to tell you why he said something. I'm going to tell you what he said. You see, um, the, ravens that we, the raven that we saw was not perched on a wall. And maybe I'm going, okay. It was perched on a tree. And I'm going, yes, it's a bird. <laughs> Chill. See, the problem was not just the raven. The problem was the tree. That tree was huge and so tall, but it was also dry and had no leaves. And so it really looked like all these trees in those witchcraft movies where witches usually do meeting under the, you understand? Then to make matters worse, he now saw a raven on it. And he said, ah, hey, yeah, Jeff. And if you're a Yoruba person, what that means is this. Um, the bird that witches usually turn into when they want to go for meetings. And so in our cultures, ravens do not bear um, good tidings. They are... They're not things you look at and you expect good things to happen to you. But also in the culture of Elijah as well, ravens were one of those animals in Leviticus chapter 14 where God has said that they are unclean, do not have anything to do with them. So ravens were a bad symbol for Elijah. But also, universally, even today, ravens have, become, have come to be known as symbols of death. And so you can imagine, Elijah is going to get up Every single day, in the morning and in the evening, and he's going to look to the skies and expect that the thing that was supposed to be a symbol of death is going to come to him carrying life in his beaks. He's going to wake up every morning and expect that the thing that was supposed to be a symbol of hopelessness is coming to him with hope. That every morning he's going to wake up and expect that the thing that was supposed to be judgment is coming to him pregnant with mercy and grace. Just as Elijah was looking up, we ourselves are looking back to the past 2,000 years ago where on the cross what was supposed to be death for us has become life for us. What was supposed to be judgment for us has become mercy and grace. What was hopelessness has become hope for us because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He took upon the wrath of God for himself in such a way that he got the death he didn't deserve so that we can get the life that we don't deserve. 
These are still the days of Elijah. These are still the days of God's sustenance. And so you see that the ultimate how of God's sustenance is through Christ Jesus, for you and who died for you and me. But now that we're talking about Christ being revealed in the text, there's something I kept from you in verse 2. The Bible said, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah and just as in those days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord has come unto us. In John chapter 1 verse 14, the Bible says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word that has come to us is Christ Jesus himself. So Christ is not just the how of God's sustenance. Christ is the very provision of God. He's the very presence of God through which God is going to sustain his children. And so what are we supposed to do? Every morning, every evening, just as Elijah did, we ourselves are supposed to rise up and disengage from the business of Lagos. Disengage from the anxieties that are in your family. Disengage from the anxieties of your work. Disengage from the anxieties of your relationships. And look up! to where your sustenance is. Look up to that symbol, that, that place that has now become a symbol of hope. Look up to that place that reveals Christ as your sustenance, Christ as your anchor, Christ as your provider, Christ as your healer. You are supposed to look up every morning and every evening, or every morning or every evening. In short, do your quiet time. And we can laugh at how easy, I mean, how simple this is, but if indeed, Christ is our sustenance. How do you think you are going to cope by ignoring Christ for so long? If indeed Christ is our anchor, if indeed Christ is our hope, what makes you think that the excuse you can give for not doing your devotion is that you are busy? Busy doing what? No matter how busy you are, you have time for Netflix, don't you? And Instagram Reels. Our morning altars are important. That is how Christ will sustain you. But the story doesn't end here, does it? Because we see in verse 7, the Bible says, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And immediately the Bible said the brook dried up. It seemed to be silent concerning the ravens as well. So the moment the brook dried up, the ravens also ceased to come and so maybe you are here the brooks of your job is drying up because the needs that the famine is providing your job cannot cater for it anymore and then you've prayed and you've fasted you've asked god for divine intervention and nothing seems to show up the ravens have ceased to come or maybe for you it's that the brooks of your health has dried up all the brooks of your health is already drying up and you are asking god god heal me god provide for me god heal me god take this thing away from me and yet it seems like the ravens have ceased to come and you keep on coming to church and pastor Femi and the preaching team are constantly talking about christ how christ is enough how christ is everything christ is your sustenance christ is your all and you say yes i get all of that but see my brooks are still drying up there is no divine intervention anywhere. I have good news for you because after verse 7, comes verse 8. The Bible says in verse 8 that then the word of the Lord 
came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so when the brooks dry up and it seems like the rivers cease to come, God is saying in the nearest future, in your future, I have provided a supply where I will still be able to sustain you even if those brooks dry up, even if those ravens cease to come. And this is God's words to you as well. God is saying that even if those brooks dry up, your story isn't over. The story continues. God is saying, even if those ravens cease to come, your story isn't over. Call upon him. The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. If you ask and you've not received, your story is not over. Ask again. If you knock and the door is not opened, your story is not over. Knock again. Until God responds. Because what the word of God says concerning us is this. He said, God is able to supply all our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The same God of Elijah is still your God. The same God in the famine that sustained Elijah is still your God. The same God that opened the eyes of the blind is still your God. The same God that opened the ears of the deaf is still your God. The same God that brought money out of the belly of a fish is still your God. The same God that changed the economy of a society overnight is still your God. He's still here for you. Someday the days of famine are going to cease and the days of glory are going to come upon us. Because why? Because Elijah's story didn't end in the carriage ribbon. We all know about the popular times when Elijah got to Mount Carmel and caught fire from heaven. Those are days of glory and they are coming. We know that Elijah's story didn't end in the carriage ribbon. We know there was a point where the chariots of fire came and carried him up to glory. Our own days of glory are also coming. But until those days come, where we no longer deal with the famine of pain, with the famine of tears, with the famine of suffering, of frustration, of anxieties, until those days come, look to the skies and know that your story isn't over even if the books dry up. Look to the skies and know your story isn't over even if the ravens cease to come. God is still the God of Elijah. These, God, the God of Elijah is still your God. These are still the days of Elijah. Let's rise to our feet as we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.